pray. Lord, we love to open your word week after week and day after day because this is how you speak to us. And so I pray that you would speak now through your word and use it, Father, to warn us and to encourage us and to strengthen us, to conform us a little more to the image of Christ, not only as individuals, but as a church. I pray especially for the elders and other leaders of this church that we would especially have ears to hear what the Spirit says to his church. Be glorified in this time now, Father, we pray, in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Today is what, for the past 10 years, we have affectionately referred to as Vision Sunday. It's a day when we kind of step aside for a few minutes and talk about what the elders believe the Lord is calling us to do in the following ministry year or years. I always look forward to this Sunday because we usually come away pretty excited about what God may use us or how God might change us as a little church um, in the years to come, and that delights our souls and brings glory to Jesus, I think. And I hope that'll be kind of the fruit that's born this morning as we look into the Word and we think about some practical things at the end that we might glorify God by doing as a church family. So if, if you want to uh, join me in looking at the Scriptures, and I hope you do, would you grab your Bible and stand with me, and we will read together 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Corinthians written by Paul, who uh, was a primary leader in the church of Corinth, and is writing back to Corinth because there was some, some stuff going on there that needed to change. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 23, I'm reading from the ESV, please follow along. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone was, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let not one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 
Let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to his church. You can be seated. Now, if I were this week to set out to preach a series on misunderstood scriptures, this text would make the list. How many sermons have we heard from this passage telling us that Judgment Day is coming, which is true, and all of our individual works will be thrown into God's furnace to be burned. Whether they are useless works, they will be burned. Whether they are good works, the honor of the Lord, we will be rewarded. And I'm not saying that there's not any truth in that. I'm just suggesting that that's probably the right theology from the wrong text. In this passage, Paul's not speaking about the eschatological occasion where every believer will stand before God and have their works, generally works of their lives, assessed. In this passage, Paul is speaking specifically about those who have been trusted to build God's church. These are the church builders. He's speaking to pastors and elders and deacons. So, elders and deacons, pastor, pay attention. This sermon is for you. And it's for any of you who have any kind of leadership uh, in the local church and really even in your home. He's speaking to us. You may remember from our extended study way back when we tackled 1 Corinthians that the church of Corinth had developed some factions owing to various kinds of philosophies that had crept into the church. So there was kind of personality cults. Everybody was just used to getting behind their favorite philosophical teacher, whether it was Aristotle or Plato or whatever, they just brought that into the church. So everybody had their favorite personality. Some said, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, Peter, and I am of, the really spiritual ones said, I am of Christ. And they were causing division as well, and so maybe they weren't that spiritual. Paul's been addressing that problem all the way since chapter 1. In this passage, the apostle is warning those who have been entrusted with the leadership of the church that God has not only willed that churches should be built, but how they should be built. And by way of analogy, Paul is speaking here of the church as a building. His previous analogy, just before this passage, was the church as a field. He was making a different point. Here, the church is being portrayed as a building. Down in verses 16 and 17, which we read a moment ago, he tells us that the building is actually the temple of the Lord where the Holy Spirit dwells. And he says, you are that temple, church. You are the church. And your leaders are the church builders. And Paul himself is a builder. This is the temple of the Lord. And Paul, I think, wants us to feel the gravity the gravity of this building project. Listen, we are not building an IHOP. We're not building the family dollar store. We're not building a fitness center or a yoga club. We are building the temple of the Lord, his church. And if that's the case, we had better be very, very careful about how we build. You get that? Um, there are two things Paul had in mind here that he was concerned about. Number one, that we would build on the right foundation, and number two, that we would use the right materials. So that's the outline, sort of. There's more to the sermon than that. But 
I want us to hear Paul's warning in this text and apply it to us, gentlemen, especially, and to all of us who have any influence on this church. What are the building materials? What, what is the right foundation and what are the materials we should use? Well, let's talk about the first one, build on the right foundation. Notice Paul begins by calling himself, verse 10, a master builder. Uh, the word for master builder is, listen carefully, architecton. Or you could say architecton, right? Uh, Nathan Carruth is an architecton. He's an architect. This is where we get our English word architect. Now, it doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul was the one who designed the plan for the original church that God wanted built. Rather, Paul is simply saying that he's a highly skilled laborer in this building project. He is an apostle by the grace of God, he says, who has been granted the wisdom of God. He said that in chapter 1, verse 24. Been granted the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ, chapter 2, verse 16, for the building of Christ's church. And so, as one of Christ's master builders, he laid the foundation of the church of Corinth upon, the, upon which the superstructure of the building, everything else, would be built. Paul was given the apostolic task of founding churches, of planting churches all over Asia Minor. But no matter where Paul traveled, every time he established a church, he always constructed it upon the exact same foundation. And what was that foundation? Look at verse 11. Um, chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid or has been laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. In this case, the answer to the question really is Jesus. What is the foundation? And the answer... Jesus. That's right. The answer is Jesus Christ. This is the foundation upon which Paul would build all of the churches, the foundation of every true church of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here, I believe, is you, you do not have a true church if it is not built on the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what's what was happening at the church of Corinth. Paul had laid the foundation of the gospel, but others now, remember, remember last week when we talked about the biography of Paul, Paul was kind of bouncing hither and there, and, and sometimes, you know, he spent three years in Ephesus. He spent 18 months in Corinth. So he laid the foundation of the church. 18 months later, he had somebody else step in and say, okay, now you build. The foundation is laid. You've got the basics. You've got the foundation. You understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand why he came, what he accomplished over those 33 years in, in uh, fulfilling all righteousness, the active obedience of Jesus Christ by which we receive righteousness. And he died for sins that he never committed, but we did so that there would be a great exchange. You understand the implications of that relative to your life and your worship and your purity and your passion for Jesus, all of that has been laid. Now build from there, but be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. And I really believe the problem here is that in Corinth they weren't being careful. That's why there were factions. That's why there was divisions. 
And Paul is warning these leaders, the only way to build a true church is to build it upon the only foundation that God recognizes, namely, the word of the cross, the foolishness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the only foundation God will accept. And it's the only foundation that will last forever. And Paul laid that foundation, and for 18 months he built upon it, but now others were responsible for building the superstructure of God's house in Corinth. Read verse 10. He says, I laid the foundation, another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. This isn't about your life personally. Although, certainly, you know, in a different context, this would work for your life personally. Be careful what you do with your life, how you build on the gospel in your own life. But here, Paul's talking specifically to the church builders, to the leaders. I laid the foundation, but you must be careful how you build on that foundation. Paul's saying, you do not have the freedom to do anything you please while building the church. Church builders must be very careful how they build on top of that foundation. If you're going to cooperate with Christ in building his church, the first non-negotiable guideline is that you have to build on the right foundation. You have to build on the right foundation. And secondly, he's calling us to build with the right materials. Look at verses 12 through 15. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and the assumption is, you are... If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He's saying, listen, this isn't necessarily a salvation issue. Many, you can look back now, two centuries, I mean, two millennia since the church was established on the foundation of the gospel, and you can see many uh, who have come in and, and tried to do something. They had good intentions, and good intentions, truly born again people, they got away from the scriptures. They got away from the basic mandates of the word of God. And they built something that looked like a church, but it was really just a crowd meeting for religious purposes. And things perhaps got out of hand and drifted into liberalism. This happens to seminaries, right? Think of Yale. We think of Yale and we think of what? We don't think of anything religious, right? Great education maybe in, in a specific field. But Yale originally founded to train preachers, pastors. All of the Ivy League schools that was true of. Princeton, I grew up just down the road from Princeton. And my parents lived there right after I left home for a while. My dad worked there for 32 or 36 years in Princeton. We were so close to the campus of Princeton University. You know why it was founded? David Brainerd was one of the first students. It was called the College of New Jersey. And it was designed to train young preachers. They met in a log cabin with a dirt floor. 
and they trained men to preach the word. They became a, a university. They became a seminary. And what happened to Princeton? Is it still there? Still there. Do they still preach Christ? Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, this is New Jersey, <laughs> right? And ironically, they have this great big statue in the front, right on the main street in the campus. And I remember it as a kid. I had no idea what it was until I came here in, in, in 1994 and started reading the Puritans, and I saw a picture of this statue, and I went, whoa, I know that statue. I've seen it a hundred times on the campus, right out in front of the campus of Princeton uh, Theological Seminary, and it's this guy, and he's got a big book in his hand, and he's got his hand up, and he's flowing robes. You know who it was? Whitfield. You know who was a president of uh, Princeton uh, the College of New Jersey Princeton uh, Seminary, one of the first, Jonathan Edwards, for 30 days until he reluctantly took the smallpox, smallpox vaccine they told him would protect him, and it killed him. That was the heritage of these places. What I'm trying to demonstrate for you is that there's always the drift. And this is true of your own life, right? You come to Christ, you, you, you kind of get off the ground, you start flying, every pilot knows you got gravity pulling you down. you got crosswinds going this way and that way. I mean, you got, you got clouds, you got rain, you got lightning. Everything is trying to get you off course. If you don't keep your eye on the instrument panel, right, this book, you're going to go off course. And Paul is saying, I laid a good foundation. You've gotten off to a good start. Be careful about drift. Don't allow yourselves to drift because in the, in the end, there will be a day, a day, and I think it's capitalized, yes, in, in, in the ESV, day is capitalized because it's not any day, it's, it's the day. It's the day of the Lord. It's what used to be called, and you never hear it in the culture anymore because the culture doesn't believe it, judgment day. It doesn't matter if you don't believe it, it's coming. It's coming. And on that day, now again, this is applied specifically to elders, deacons, any leaders in the church. On that day, how you laid on the foundation, what materials you used to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, all of that that you did seemingly for, ostensibly for the church of Jesus Christ, all of that's going to be thrown into the judgment fire of God's um, purifying revelational heat and what will come out is either going to be a puff of smoke and probably there's for all of us it's going to be either a big puff or a small puff um, <laughs> hope a small one and anything you laid that was consistent with the gospel according to the scriptures will come out as reward and you might think is he talking about the reward being gold, silver, precious stones? No, that's not the reward. It's not the reward. Notice what he says. For no one can lay a foundation. Um, now, verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation. Okay, so this is what, these are building materials. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. This is not what you get out of the fire. This is what goes in the fire. It is the, it's the choices that we made about how we would build the church, the things that we would do, the things that we would refrain from doing for the glory of God. And so what's he talking about? Gold, silver, precious stones. 
He's not talking about making you rich. Again, these are building materials. So what are these materials? Well, you've got to think temple, because that's what he's talking about. He, he clarifies that in 16 and 17, right? The temple, when you think about the Old Testament temple, what do you think about? Gold, silver, and lots of stone. Gold, think about it. I mean, this thing was facing east. I wish I, you know, wish I could go back in time and go east of the temple, get on the highest point, and look west so I could see when the sun comes up that uh, the, the light bouncing off of the doors of the temple, it was made to be glorious in the morning. The temples were covered with gold, just totally wrapped in gold, the doors. And then on the inside, I mean, so many things were wrapped in gold. You have the Ark of the Covenant. You have the, um, uh, you know, the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you have portions of the table of showbread. You've, you've got uh, the altar of incense. So many things, the, the, sh- the shovels, the cups, the, everything was made out of gold. And then you had silver things. Remember when they were building the tabernacle and God said, when you make the little rings that are going to hold up the curtains, make them out of silver. And I'm not sure what the silver was used for in Solomon's temple, but this is the image here. They're using gold and silver to make a variety of things in the temple. And everywhere you look, it's gleaming, it's bright, it's glorious, it's beautiful. These are things of value and precious stones. Precious stones, you know, there were precious stones for the priesthood, the high priest wore an ephod, and it had the 12 stones. Each different stone uh, represented a tribe of Israel. But that's not, that, that can't be what he's talking about because he's talking about building materials. And so what must he be talking about other than the reality that, remember when Solomon had his, built, his temple built? He was very careful. And he said, I don't want any noise. I don't want any, any unnecessary noise. This is God's house. And so... When you cut the stones, you measure them perfectly, cut them in the quarry, and bring them in to fit perfectly. And that's how he built the temple. It was prefab, (laughs) off-site, because he was honoring the place where the the Lord's presence would be. These were precious stones. Get that? And Paul is using the whole analogy of the temple now to warn us because there's so much garbage out there to, to put on top of the gospel. There's so many religious ideas and so many things that we could do. And beloved, this is amazingly relevant for our day as, just as much as it was in Paul's. The work of the apostolic founders is done once and forever. And so long as the church lasts Pastors, elders, various leaders will build. They will build on what the apostles laid down. The question is, are we building with truth as eternal as the gospel or with the philosophies of men that are in vogue today and are of no value in light of eternity? We live in a time when pastors, mostly young ones, I'm not just saying that because I'm, older now. So many young pastors are trying to reinvent church. And, uh, and with good intentions. They look at it and they see problems. Uh, people are leaving. Or, um, or we have so many people, it's just chaotic. We got too much going on. We gotta, what do we got to do? We got to do something. We got to do something. We got to fix this. And so whatever it is they're trying to fix, they jerk the wheel. Right? And they, they take off another direction. 
Well, we'll do something. We don't have enough people getting saved. We must be doing something wrong. Well, if you're proclaiming the gospel effectively, you're not doing anything wrong. Because adding to that only dilutes it. It doesn't strengthen it. And so they'll turn. They'll say, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a way to get better results. And we saw that with the seeker movement in the 80s and 90s. We saw it again in the emergent church um, of the past decade. And even now, there are on the Internet uh, at least one new major proposal on reinventing the church. And one common denominator between all of these approaches to reinventing the church is eventually the evolutionary effect happens and they all go the way of the dodo. They all disappear. I mean, the emergent church, uh, not the emergent church, but the, the seeker-sensitive church, you know, several years ago, you, you know this, they came out, they, they, uh, they did a major expensive survey to determine the effectiveness of all of their expensive programs. And they came out and they wrote a book. This is Bill Hybels and, and all who were part of that movement. And you know what the name of the book was called? We Were Wrong. Well, that's honest. Um, the Emergent Church, I mean, that was so crazy. It seemed so fresh, radical, and reformed. Um, but there were things that when the people of God get in there, it doesn't take long to go, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. And eventually enough people clued in on something wrong here that it just fizzled out. It died. Did they ask some good questions? Yes. Did they press the church to answer some hard questions? Yes. But they didn't build their church on the foundation. And they didn't use materials that were pleasing to the Lord. And, and that can be true today as well. That's the danger of the drift. So if you've ever wondered why at Calvary Bible Church, we have stood strongly against these movements and these evangelical fads that come through, the, the 40 days of what's happening next or whatever. It's because of passages like this. We know that capital D day is coming. And we don't want to fool around with God's church. We're not going to mess with it. God, we, we know we have some biblical mandates. We have the Great Commission. We have preached the word, which is why we do expository messages. Why, why I'm taking this verse by verse right now. It's why we sing songs and, that are very carefully vetted to communicate only biblical truth. And from time to time, we find something. And it either gets extricated or we lose the song. Because we're concerned about this. We want to be faithful. And I'll show you why that's important in a minute. But that's why when a, when a fad comes along, we look at it and we go, hmm, that looks like a fad. Let's not touch that. Let's just let it play out for a while and see what happens. And typically, what happens is what always has happened. We, frankly, are humbled by the fact that God has called us to be his servant builders in this little church. And every, I can tell you, every one of the men in that room as we meet every Sunday morning as we did today feels inadequate and overwhelmed that God would choose the likes of us to do this. And that's how it should be. As Frank says, all of us are temporary <laughs> and none of us are necessary but this is, this is the calling. Pastors, teachers, evangelists have the privilege of being his laborers in this grand building pro project 
called the church. The only question is, will we be faithful to build in such a way that magnifies Jesus Christ, or will we be swayed by the ever-changing ideas of the world and philosophies and programs that always turn away from Christ? Gordon Fee is helpful with this. He warns, it is unfortunately possible for people to attempt to build the church out of every imaginable human system predicated on merely worldly wisdom, be it philosophy, pop psychology, managerial techniques, relational good feelings, or what have, or what have you. But as uh, at the final judgment, he writes, all such building and perhaps countless other forms where systems and programs have become more important than the gospel itself will be shown for what they are, namely, something merely human with no character of Christ or his gospel in it. You've got to be careful. And Paul says in chapter 4, just look at chapter 4, verse 2, and here he kind of sums up. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, what? In the ESV, trustworthy. In the NAS, I think it says faithful. And so for years and years, uh, before we ever started talking about strategic planning and vision for church ministry and all of that stuff, I would always tell people, look, if you're looking for vision, ask any of the elders. They'll tell you what our vision is. Our vision is we want to be faithful in the next decision. That's what we want to do. And for years, we were just so concerned about getting it right. And we're all kind of new to it. I, I, was, I, I, I just turned 30. I, I was barely out of 29 years old when I came to this church. Everything was new. Everything was new. And we wanted to be so careful. You know, we almost did, well, we did very little. Uh, we just preached the word and tried to love people and minister. And then when we got going, it became evident. We got to be careful. We just got to be careful. Got to be careful. We can't let this drift. We want to do great things for God, but we got to be careful not to drift. You know, we can fly a small airplane or we can fly a large airplane but we got to get to the destination. we got to keep on course. And let God worry about whether we have a big airplane or a little airplane. You might ask, so why are we talking about this on Vision Sunday? It's a good question. Glad you asked. It's because I think this is the appropriate time for all of us, but especially the elders and other leaders of Calvary Bible Church, to be reminded of our calling. The apostles laid the foundation of the gospel. We've been entrusted with the task of building upon that foundation with biblical care. The word of God is the standard. It's the measuring rod. It is the filter through which we should pour every idea for ministry. Does it measure up to scripture? And does it reflect accurately the gospel and the glory of Christ? Back in 2006, we came up with a purpose statement. It's in your bulletin. It's right on the back. It says vision statement. It's really a purpose statement. And um, we used to rehearse this regularly as a church, and we haven't done that for a while. And so if you already know it, then say it with me. What's our purpose statement? Why are we here? We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. That's why we're here. 
There are no wasted words here. Every phrase is shaped to refi- and refined to communicate a rock-solid biblical mandate for Christ's church, and each is rooted in Scripture. So let's review briefly. We exist, that's purpose, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Now, where do we get that? Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's a precious passage to me, and it should be to all of us. And we don't have time to unpack the context here. I just want you to see this, and you can read the context later. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, 1 Peter 2, 9. Here's what Peter writes. But you are a chosen race. Who's he speaking to? The church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, now stop right there. You see connection with the temple? The temple of the Lord? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so we ask at this point, why? Why are we that, Lord? And Peter says, so that, there's purpose, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why you exist, to declare, to declare the glory of the Lord, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. The reason you were created was to proclaim to the world and everything, Christ is excellent. He is more excellent than anything. He is worth more than all I possess, and his value is greater than the pearl of great price. So we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Next phrase, in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And you know this text, and I'm sure most of you could quote it right now. It just says, in, how many things? In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And even more significantly, Uh, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach. Listen, above reproach where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. What's he saying? Live in such a way in every day, every hour, every moment, every circumstance in such a way that proclaims Christ is excellent. Now, let me tell you a story, a very brief one. Um, We recently lost James McKenzie, a young man who loved Jesus. And I heard from Living Hope Bible Church um, that next week that somebody um, was watching the news this uh, older couple was watching the news, and they saw how Rhonda and Phil responded to the news, and, and speaking uh, to the news of, of their son. And, um, and there was a couple whose son and daughter-in-law were attending Living Hope Bible Church, right? Attending Living Hope Bible Church. And they were over their parents' house, and this news story came on. And Phil and Rhonda said what they said. 
And it was very impactful. Now, the father and mother hadn't been to church in, I don't know, eight years. And I'm not sure what happened in the previous church. doesn't matter. But he said something to his son like this. Son, <laughs> show me a church that creates that kind of faith, and I'll go. <laughs> and the son said, it's my church. <laughs> We're a plant from that church. Every little thing, every little opportunity that you have, and that was a big opportunity for them. And they nailed it. And we praise God for that because we proclaim that Jesus Christ is excellent, not just in worship service, not just when we're out doing some kind of ministry gig in the community or flying to Africa. We are to proclaim that Christ is excellent in everything. In everything. And then to the glory of God. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God. And you remember Westminster said, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We'll get to the joy in just a second. The Apostle Paul exhorted in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? To the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Listen, um, even in eating your oatmeal and drinking your coffee this morning, we're called to be careful. Not legalistic, just aware. Am I making my decisions to honor Christ? Even in the mundane, the, the thing he's, he's saying here is even in the most mundane things of your life, do it to the glory of God. And again, why? Because almost guaranteed somebody's watching. The Lord's watching and he's glorified by it. You say, well, no one sees me having my quiet time or eating my oatmeal in a way that glorifies God. Yeah, well, no one sees the fish on the bottom of the sea, but God is glorified in them. Just being who you are in Christ faithfully glorifies God. Do it all to the glory of God. And then finally, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. What's that mean? We live to exalt Jesus Christ, to glorify him, and we want everyone in the world to know the joy that we have found in him. When the angel announced Jesus' birth, he said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I just want you to see the connection with gospel and joy. Gospel, joy. David said in Psalm 67, here's a missional prayer out of the Psalms. 67. Here's David praying, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's why it's peoples. You may have thought it was misprinted. It's peoples, all of the peoples. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, our heart is that the nations, all of them, would hear the gospel and believe. 
that our neighbors would hear the gospel and believe, that our children would hear the gospel and believe and find the joy that the angel promised the world when he announced the arrival of Jesus. Joy is in Jesus. Joy is in the gospel. It's evangelistic joy. It's an evangelistic, missional, worshipful prayer. It's a prayer that God will bring the nations into joyful worship. All I'm saying is if that we are going to be faithful as a church, we must repeatedly remind ourselves of why God created us and placed us in the world, and why did he leave us here when we got saved? Why didn't he just, bam, pop us into heaven the moment we believed? And the answer, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things, to the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. You say, well, can we say that a different way? You can say it however you want. <laughs> this is just helpful. It's helpful to synthesize a number of key scriptures to help us focus. Because I don't know about you, I can't think of five or six verses at a time. I need something short, and this is helpful. And then we can take the next step and say, where are we to proclaim the excellencies of Christ? And as we see it, there are three places. There's the church, the community, and the world. The church, the community, and the world. That is, in the church, we minister to one another, and I'm including our families in that. In our community, we minister to the lost and the saved who are in our community. In the world, we minister to the lost and the saved who are in the world. Ten years ago, we realized that there was so much to be done as a church that we weren't doing, biblical mandates that we weren't fulfilling. And those first couple of Vision Sundays, there was so much we had to roll out. I mean, I was reading through them uh, over the last couple of days, and I was overwhelmed. I bet you were overwhelmed back then. But I was overwhelmed, and so many, I mean, initiative after initiative after initiative rolling out, and, the, you know, all the things we were, I mean, it was, I mean, it was exciting. It was less like a sermon and, and more like a, an, an, an Apple keynote address, <laughs> like we're rolling out all this stuff. And, uh, and by God's grace, so much of that was achieved over the last 10 years. There was so much that needed to be done. There were leaders to train. There were strategies to form. There were continents and countries to visit. We had a building to erect. We had missionaries to get on the field. We had a church to plant. And it was also very exciting. And I know, we come around to Mission Sunday, and some of you go, are we having a, mission? I mean, a Vision Sunday? Are we having that this year? What are they going to roll out? What are they going to talk about? What are we doing next? And those are good questions. Here's my concern. I don't want us to be excited about the wrong thing. I don't want us to be more excited about the rollout than we are about Jesus. Because you know, if persecution comes, and I'm no prophet, but if persecution comes and all that stuff gets taken away, we still have Jesus in his word. We still have it. We still have the main thing. We can still serve without all the other stuff that we may be able to do now maybe not able to do later. I think we just need to be careful never to allow the excitement of doing new things trump our love for Christ and our passion to proclaim his excellencies day to day in the church, in the community, and in the world. So whatever we do, let's make sure we're building Calvary Bible Church upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing it with the right materials, materials that are like the gold and the silver and the precious stones of the temple, things that have value, quality. Now with that in mind, let me spend the remaining minutes here talking to you about the things the elders believe um, may be helpful in us proclaiming the gospel. Some of these are definitive. Some of them are 
works in progress. Some of them are just dreaming. Let's talk first about the church. Number one, and I, th- I got thinking about, okay, we had a, a lot of propositions on the table. And what's, what's most important? What should we do first? And the first thing I thought of was prayer. We, we just, that's one of those gold, silver, and precious stone items, prayer. Let's start this ministry year with prayer week. I've always wanted to do prayer week, and for whatever reason, we just never did it. Let's do it, and let's do it starting tonight. And by the way, uh, you should have received one of these. It's a PDF in MailChimp. If you, did, if you saw the last MailChimp and ignored the PDF, go back and look at the PDF. If you don't have access to opening and printing a PDF, you can grab one of these on the back, of the t- back table back there. I've got 100 copies out there for you. This is the schedule. And out here, it's, it's kind of laid out in a table. This is Sunday to Sunday, what we encourage you to do. And so let me just run it down with you. Tonight, we're meeting right after student ministries. I don't want this to be an excessive burden. This is our first go at it, so we want to be gentle, right? And so here's what we're going to do. Student ministries in Iwana are supposed to end at 6 o'clock, and they will tonight, right? <laughs> they will end at 6 o'clock or before. And then uh, 6.15, we're going to start. We're going to meet for 45 minutes. Now, in your bulletin is one of these little cards, and it's really just a rundown on, on what it's going to be like. We want to encourage you on your way in or on your way out this morning to talk to each other about how you can be praying for each other during the week. And if you're not able to do that this morning, when you come tonight, talk to some people on the way in. Come a little early. Talk to people. Find out how you can pray for one another. And don't ask, how can I pray for you? Ask something like, what's coming up this week that, you've, that is a particular concern for you that I can pray about? Or joy, a a, a wonderful joy, something that I can praise God with you about and uh, and find out. And then come, and and then we're going to have, we're just going to do prayers of worship, prayers of petition. They're going to be whatever whatever we want to pray for. We're asking Christ, and I'll give some direction tonight. And then prayers of thanksgiving. Now, I'm telling you now, so you'll come prepared tonight. We don't want five-minute pauses between Brother Bob and Brother Jimmy, you know, praying. I want it to be, man, just, let's just one after another, one after another, one after another. We'll have microphones. If you stand, a microphone is coming to you. And we're going to pray for 45 minutes and sing. We've got some songs that we're going to sing in between, right, Kyle? And it's going to be a sweet time of prayer and singing and fellowship and rejoicing. And no, we're not having food afterwards. We're just going home with our families. Um, on Tuesday, I heard that amen. Someone on a diet. Right, Russ? I heard that voice. <laughs> uh, on Tuesday, and we're going to have the place open here for noontime fasting and prayer. How about Tuesday? You don't have to do it on Tuesday. You want to fast and pray any day of the week or every day of the week. Feel free. But on Tuesday, we're going to have the doors open. You want to come over and fast and pray with us? Just skip lunch. Rather than going out to lunch, skip lunch, come and pray. And we'll have something organized uh, for that so we got some direction in how we're going to pray. And then uh, on on uh, Thursday, early morning, uh, 6.45 to 7.45. If you can make early, maybe you're saying, I can't make lunch, I can make early. Okay, come on Thursday, we'll be here early. And we're going to pray, and we might sing a little bit. And if it's just men singing, it'll sound like I heard a buffalo, but it'll be a joyful noise. <laughs> um, but we're going to pray early. And then, um, this has already begun, and some of us were there this morning and had a sweet time of, of prayer, 8.15 to 8.45 every Sunday morning. 
for the duration, right? Um, there was one not out of two, so maybe. <laughs> so uh, we've got that first room coming this way out of Fellowship Hall. That first room on the right is the prayer room. And if you want to come early and pray with us, the elders pray earlier than that. This morning we got done praying with the elders and came over and, and went into that room and prayed some more. Listen, do we believe in prayer? You know what prayer is? The prayer is the soul breathing, Thomas Watson said. Reading scripture is the soul eating. But how, how's your breathing going? Have you stopped breathing? If you stopped breathing, can I just inform you of something? You're dying. You should come and pray. You should be, we should be people of prayer. And then next Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, the whole Sunday school hour is going to be singing and prayer. And all of that will be laid out. And so, would you come and pray with us? You don't have to be here all the time. And by the way, if you want to skip lunch and come to the church and pray, then just do that, even if it's not that day. And you might find some folks down here praying too. This is prayer week. And, and frankly, if I don't tell you anything else going on here, and I do have a few more minutes, this would be good enough. Let's start the year pleading with God to exalt himself through us and to change us and to do things that we don't even know he's planning on doing. And we just want to be instruments for his hand. So, what's next? Let's talk about the Biblical Counseling and Discipleship Conference. You know that's coming this week. And let me tell you a little bit about it, the things you may not know. This has been a year and a half at least, maybe two years in the planning. It's finally upon us. It's next weekend, Friday and Saturday, here at Calvary Bible Church, the main events, track one, will be taking place in here. There'll also be a track two down in, in the uh, conference room. And beyond that, uh, the fellowship hall is going to be used for snacks and, and fellowship and meals and all of that stuff. We have nearly 140 people who are registered to come. Um, we have 42 different cities. 41 of them are in Texas. We have one person or couple registered from Georgia coming. Uh, other cities are Abilene, Austin, Houston, Palestine, Georgetown, Kerrville. Now, these aren't just people in the neighborhood, although ironically, the first person to respond lived right down the street. That was fun. Uh, we have 50 volunteers from the church who are going to be helping with this and have been highly trained, right guys? And uh, you will recognize them because all of them, including the speakers, are going to be wearing one of these. Isn't that cool? Uh, I think it's cool. It's a breathable fabric. makes it cool. Uh, and, and it's going to be a big deal for Calvary Bible Church. Um, we don't know everybody who's coming. You know, one of the cool things that we did on this, uh, and I say we because this was a collective. This isn't me coming up with this stuff. Um, one of the neat things that, that happened was somewhere along the way we said, hey, why don't we, why don't we say that any pastor from any church, if they want to come, they can come for free. And so we've got some pastors who are coming. We want them to know. We want them to learn. We don't want them to change churches. We want them to be effective in their church. Um, and so we've invited pastors to come from, for free. So why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Uh, I've been counseling for... Uh, nine years now, 
And just a few years ago, our church got really passionate about discipleship, and we still are. And we're doing things, as I'll tell you in a minute, uh, we're going to be doing some things to help enhance that so that you all can get involved even more so in discipleship. But in biblical counseling, all biblical counseling is, is intensive discipleship. You're, you're discipling people who've got problems that are so serious, hardly anybody in the church knows what to do about it. And we've got people who know what to do about it. We know how to bring the word of God to bear, psychology free. And I was telling the elders this morning some of the stories that we've heard just recently of people who have come for help, and they're at their wit's end. I mean, sometimes suicidal, sometimes their marriage, I mean, is at, I mean they're at their last rope. I mean, they're at the end of their rope. Uh, just, just yesterday, someone called, and Sandy Hurlbut was here by herself, and she hears the phone ringing. You know, in this building, we only have one phone, a landline, and it's in the sound closet. And so she follows the sound, <laughs> right? Oh, it's in the sound room. She pulls on the door handle. It's unlocked. She picks up the phone, and there's this desperate woman. I'm in Houston, and I desperately need help. Well, guess what? We know people in Houston who can help. And if you were here, we could help you here, right? Um, difficult case, uh, domestic abuse, sounds really bad. We can help you. We can help you. You may find Christ in the process. You may get saved. You may be born again because somebody who knew how to address your problem from the Word of God led you to Christ and out of your problem. And that is magnificent. You say, well, why don't you talk about that more? Well, listen, it's a hard thing because I can't. You know, what do you, you can't tell people's stories. But I can tell you this we're seeing people's lives changed regularly. I bet there are probably 15 cases every week going on at this church that you don't ever see or hear about. And you never will hear or see, see, hear about or see um, unless you're in there. And so we, we've established this, and, and uh, we are the only ACBC uh, certified training facility in the Metroplex. It's the only place you can come in the Metroplex. Granbury is uh, kind of where all of this started. And so from year to year, they're going to do it one year, we're going to do it one year. We're just going to help each other out so it's not too big a burden on any church. But why are we doing it? Because we're passionate about discipleship. We're passionate about helping people. We're passionate about the Great Commission. And you remember what the Great Commission is? Not just go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why? Because that's where life is. Listen, you don't know how to love your spouse until Jesus teaches you. You don't know how to raise your kids until Jesus teaches you. You don't know how to deal with rebellion in your own heart until Jesus teaches you. So teach them, teach them, teach them. That's what biblical counseling is. And it's life-changing. Has your life been changed by the gospel? I hope so. If you're a Christian, it's been radically changed. But if you're a person who's got deep, deep problems and you need help, you're hoping somebody out there has got better answers than psychology. And praise God, we do. Um, so enough on that. Ministry fair. We're having a ministry fair. We intended to do it this morning, but we realized we needed to give our leaders a little more time. So on the 25th uh, of this month, the 25th, 
We're going to have a ministry fair during Sunday school. It's going to be in Fellowship Hall. We're going to have tables set up. We're going to have signs up on, on the wall all the way around so that you can see where each ministry is, major ministry. Some of the ministries don't need that kind of input, so uh, they won't be in there. But any, any ministry that you can be involved in, uh, we're going to have cards there so that you can pick it up and see what the ministry is about, see how to get involved, see how you can pray. Um, and, uh, and then you can just sign up for things. You want to be involved in children's ministry? You may be new here and say, I have no idea how to get involved in everything. On the 25th, it's going to be easy. You, you want to be in a small group? You don't, know where, uh, you don't know how to sign up for a small group? We'll have somebody there. You're interested in learning about biblical counseling? We'll have somebody there. You want to, you know, I don't know, you, you want to paint the steeple? I don't know, we'll have to talk to our insurance company, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> but, um, but all of our ministries, uh, small group ministry, children's ministry, biblical counseling, all of it, and many more, uh, mother-daughter um, uh, and, and other ministries are going to be down there. How do you get involved? How can you pray? How can you help? And then here's, here's something else. Uh, Jeff, how long ago was your big surgery? February. February. And then... Like months and months before then, uh, you were looking forward to it, right? Sort of with fear and trepidation. And so we went over to visit Jeff, and Jeff wasn't able to come to church because he had to have the surgery, and he was pretty immobilized for a long time. And I just kind of threw it out there and said, hey, Jeff, listen, I'm trying to think. We're going to pray for you. We want to help you any way we can. And what would help? Would, would being able to see the church service at home uh, would that help you? And he was like, yes, of course that would help. And so uh, I'm announcing today, live streaming is up and running right now. And let me just say to my mom in Florida, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's been kind of one of our beta testers for the last uh, three weeks. Uh, when, when they did, the, I guess, the second test, uh, it was a week that I wasn't preaching because I was going down to see my mom. And uh, we went to Living Hope Bible Church that Sunday, and we realized when we got in the car that um, live streaming was testing. And so my wife has got un unlimited data, and she got on the website, went to sermons, and right below uh, the audio sermons, there's a little button you push, live streaming. Boom, there it was. And the worship team was leading worship here, and we sang with you all all the way from here to Mansfield, uh, the entire worship uh, block. And it was great. The quality is really good. We spent the necessary money to make it good quality. And that quality is going to be getting better. There's been some glitches in the last few days, and, and they're getting fixed. And uh, so live streaming is up, and it's real easy to access. And Joe Oliver, Joe's sick today. And brother, if you're listening or watching, hi. Uh, and uh, we prayed for you this morning. Um, and, and then people have been asking, so what do we do about Keith? When are we going to vote on Keith? <laughs> Uh, so Keith is in, and the answer is we will be voting on him when he gets ordained. And we decided in a recent elders meeting that that time has come. And so it's going to take a while. It's a lot of work for him, and it'll be a lot of work for us. And we'll just keep you informed on that. He's going to be ordained to gospel ministry, but not as an elder. And not as an elder just because of his youth, right? We don't despise your youth, brother. <laughs> I wish I had your youth. <laughs> Um, but, you know, don't lay hands on anyone uh, too quickly. That's the admonition, right? We want to build on the foundation properly with gold, silver, precious stones. And so we want to be careful. So we, we do that with everybody who becomes an elder. Takes time. And so this is going to be ordination to gospel ministry. He will be effectively a pastor, but not serve in the capacity of elder yet. But you will be voting on 
uh, whether or not he gets to officially, as far as uh, the United States is concerned, whether or not he is a pastor, and that has implications for him as well. Um, and, and here's another one, and it's a, it's a pretty big one, and I'm not going to say much about it. Um, we've determined quite a while ago, it's been a, probably a couple of years ago, that our office building needs to be replaced. Uh, back in 1992, when we pursued that thing, in 1993, oh, I'm sorry, 2000, not that old, uh, 2002 and 2003, 2003, we actually moved the building here, and the big question was, do we just tell the city we're keeping it for two years so we can call it a temporary building and we'd have less um, code to deal with, or should we say, uh, realistically, we're probably going to be here three years or more, and we decided, uh, let's just make it a permanent structure, we'll probably have it for three years, and then we'll build something. That was in 2002, it's 2016, and the thing is still, just barely, standing and usable. And so um, we're, we're working on that, and uh, uh, we really need to just uh, sell that building to someone else and, uh, and build something new on there. And I think we can do that uh, fairly painlessly, um, but we just got to get all of our ducks in a row on that, and that's going to take a while, so be patient. I just want you to be thinking about that and praying about it. And so that's the church, and there's a lot more there uh, relative to the church. And let's talk about community a little bit. Um, one thing relative to the community is we now have another church, and they're looking for a building, and they're getting really, really close. And we just want to help them. We want to help them. They're going to have to build some things, and they're going to have to clean, and, and they're going to have to do all that kind of stuff. We want to be involved in that, right? Um, and we want to help them maybe even financially to help them make that transition. Thankfully, they are financially independent and, uh, and have enough money in the bank that they, could, they can take a step up and be good for more than a year. And hopefully God will grow the church. Um, but, um, but they're doing well, and we praise God for that. They passed the one-year mark in June, and they're on their way. The elders are unified. They are now looking at establishing uh, uh, another elder in that church, and that's a long process. And so we should be praying for them. Uh, secondly, uh, for years, almost as long as I've been here, we've, we've only dared to hope and dream that somehow we would find a way to minister in Como. Now, how many of you know Como, right? Here's a way you can get to know Como. Get online and look up one square mile. It's, a, um, it's actually a, a, a video site where they've taken communities all around the country, different backgrounds. They've got one in Manhattan, New York, you know, and uh, they take one square mile and they just tell you about the people and it's just a variety. There's some out in Arizona and out in California, LA, um, but it just so happened by the providence of God that one of those one square mile episodes was Como and it's right across the road. If the highway, if the trench weren't there, we could walk into Como from here easily and yet we've, we've never had a contact. And this morning I want to announce that we have a contact, and we're working on a second. We're supposed to have lunch with number two, and uh, uh, he's a pastor over there. Uh, looks like he's doing a good job. We just want to get to know him. He wants to get to know us. Um, but um, there is a school over there now called River Tree School. It's an independent Christian school. They receive no uh, financial help from the U.S. government, and they're doing that intentionally because they want to have the freedom to bring the gospel to bear on their students. Right now, they have grades uh, one through three, or pre-K through three. Uh, and uh, just like in SOS in Uganda, they're, they're adding grades every year. 
Uh, they've got a big, wonderful vision. Uh, these children's lives, you have, to, you have to live in Como if you want to go to that school. It's a Christian school, and we will have the freedom to go in and help. Now, we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. We may help them financially. They got, they got a lot of backing already because the, the church is realizing in this community um, what that little, stu- little school could accomplish and what it's already accomplishing. For those of you who know Homer Hawthorne, he's involved in this school. Uh, Dr. Brown is involved in that school, and you may not know him, but he was a founder, and he was so committed to ministering in that community. He's an MD. He's got seven kids, and he moved his family into Como and has lived there for 10 years and is now on to another thing that's related to all of this. But um, we have an opportunity to minister in Como. And right now, nothing in concrete, but it looks good. It looks promising. And so would you pray with us about that? Pray the Lord would open some doors uh, for us to get in there and, and not to go in as their Savior, but so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ in a, in a way that we haven't before to a different group of people. Wouldn't that be great? Um, by the way, the uh, executive director of that school sat right here last weekend, last Sunday, um, because he came early in the morning and met with the elders, and then was in Sunday school down the hall and in worship service here. Other opportunities to serve the community, we're asking the Lord to direct us to. We've gotten some really good ideas from people. Uh, one of them, and again, we're just, we're just looking at these right now. We don't want to overwhelm or get ourselves overextended. Um, but there's a Ronald McDonald house over in... Um, uh, over by Cook's Hospital, that one of our families uh, stayed there. So here's the deal. If you have a really sick child and you live too far away, uh, you can come to the Ronald McDonald House and you can live there for a certain period of time. And they had to, uh, they had to leave every about 30 days or so, um, 30 or 40 days, had to leave and then come back. And, but your child is in the hospital and you can be right there almost on campus. My wife and I experienced this when we were in Dallas. My son was born with serious heart problems. Uh, the moving company came and took all of our stuff and moved it to Kansas because that was my first church. The timing was providential but difficult, and we had no place to live, so we moved into a Ronald McDonald house. And you know what? Every day, either a corporation or a church brings food for everyone in a Ronald McDonald house. And this couple told me, you know, you could tell the difference. When a corporation was coming in, it was good food. When a church came in, it was ministry and comfort. Man, that's easy, Right? We can do that. And there are other things that uh, maybe... Look, I want us to be more effective in our ministry to the community. The elders want us to be more effective in our proclaiming the excellencies of Christ here, not just in Uganda and Tajikistan and in those other places. Um, and so that's coming up. And we hope that we'll have, be able to have a ministry fair and bring some of these people in to represent it so we can get to know them a little better. And then the world, there's always need... Great need among our ministry partners around the world, Uganda, Ukraine, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, Russia, Mexico. Um, uh, we've, we've, you know, I wanted to go to all the continents. We haven't been to South America or the South Pole, but we're working on it. We have a contact. No, just kidding. Um, but we are hoping to get a contact at some point uh, to go to South America. And the goal of that, we just want to introduce our people to missions. There are normal people with normal skills. You don't have to be um, super genius. Or uh, you don't have to be Bear grills uh, to function as a missionary. It might help if you're in Uganda. But, um, um, but if God is calling you, you can do it. You can do it. 
I often tell my boys, the purpose of your dad's existence in your life is to show you that you can do more than you think you can. And that's the reality for all of us. You can do more than you think you can. And if God's calling you to the field, you can do that. By his grace, for his glory, not by your own strength or power, but by his might. Um, will we be sending a team out this year to a foreign land? Probably. Uh, nothing nailed down on that yet. Um, but it will probably either be, again, to... Uh, um, well, we have options, and I don't want to preclude anything. Uh, but we are looking and we're praying, and uh, we'll have something to do relative to that. And I know my, my time is, is up, but we just wanted to give you a taste of where we think God is leading us, the things God is doing, some of the things God has done. Um, sometime we just need to, to get together and remind ourselves of God's past grace, what God has already done at Calvary Bible Church in the last 10 years. And that's just a thought coming to me now. And so maybe we could, Jason, make that happen. Just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, and praise the Lord for all of you who are so involved. And I praise the Lord for all of you who really want to be involved and don't know how. We're going to resolve that problem. And you're going to be able to get involved. And we're going to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ coming out of the foundation of the church, shining like a city on a hill, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Because that's why we exist, right? Why do we exist? We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God and the joy of all people. Let's pray. Lord, it is magnificent to think that you would use fumbling, bumbling people like us who sometimes don't know our left hand from our right to accomplish great things for your glory. And we're humbled. And we're so excited about what you will do this week, first of all through our times of prayer and worship together, and then through the conference later in the week and the other initiatives that we talked about this morning. Oh, Father, would you be glorified in that? Would you send your spirit to so empower and move? May our hearts be under the sway of the spirit as we eat and drink and drive and serve and work and pray that you will be greatly glorified in us. For it is for a steward in the end to be found faithful, and we want to be faithful. So we praise you for the opportunity and for the promised reward in the name of our Savior Jesus.